0: So I've been thinking about this, this concept of better together, and, and I mean, what a great picture of that, that this foster camp, we're better together than we can be separate. We're, we're just better together as a church than any of us can be on our own. And I think so often when we think about faith or we think about belief in God, we think it's a personal thing. And in some ways it is, there's, there's a personal relationship that we have with God, but I don't think God wants it to stay personal. I think think there is this corporate nature to faith. And there's there's something more to faith than just me and God. And there's more to faith than just you and God. Your faith should be multiplied in the community of believers, the community of faith. And it should bring good to the world, no matter uh, believer or not. It should bring good to the world around us. And I've been thinking about this and as we were putting this series together and I've been thinking like better together, what are some great pictures that would inspire us to be better together? And I remember this story that I heard years ago. You've heard the story before. It's called, uh, the the, the team is Team Hoyt. And some of you will know right away when I say Team Hoyt, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, Rick Hoyt was born... I think in the late 60s, and he was born with some, some challenges. He was quadriplegic and couldn't, couldn't walk. The doctors actually told his parents, you should put him in a home because he will live a short and painful life, and his parents refused. They said, we're not going to put him in a home. We're going to treat him the, to the best of our ability like any of our other children, and they said he'll never speak, he'll never walk, he can't control his muscles, there's, there's just too much wrong with him. But the mom, she, Judy, she said, I'm gonna teach him the alphabet. And so they used everything they could to try to teach him the alphabet, and they noticed that, that Rick, when they walked through the room, Rick's eyes would follow them. And they knew there was more going on than they could see. In 1977, there was a lacrosse player in the area in which they lived i think in massachusetts that was in an accident and became a quadriplegic and they were doing a benefit run for his family for him and his family and rick who had learned to type the alphabet with his head on a computer unbelievable asked his dad if they could run the race together his dad by the way was not a runner But because his son asked him if they could run the race together, he said yes. And he fixed up the wheelchair that they had, and he put his son in the wheelchair, and they get to the 5K, the race, 3.1 miles, and the organizers laugh. And they're like, there's no way they're going to make it through this run. There's just not a chance. And you know what? They made it through the run. 3.1 miles, him pushing his son. When he got home from the race, he typed on his computer this statement, Dad, when I'm running, when who's running? When I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. And it changed his dad's life, which changed his life. Team Hoyt, uh, his, his dad Dick, began this journey of running. He wasn't a runner. And look at what happened in their lives. Six Ironman races. Do you know what that is? If you don't, look it up later. The marathon is just the last piece of it. 72 marathons. In the 80s, when they decided to try to run the Boston Marathon... The Boston Marathon organizers told uh, Dick, the father, if you want to run in the marathon, you don't need to run a qualifying time for you because your son is with you. You need to run a qualifying time for him, which is significantly harder. Two hours and 50 minutes, they had to run a marathon in order to qualify for the Boston. The Boston was having none of them in the race just because they were different. And his father decided, we'll figure that out. Ran a qualifying race of under two hours and 50 minutes to get into the Boston. Now listen, I'm a hack runner. I like to run a little bit, and I only run so I can eat whatever I want. (laughs) Running a marathon in two hours and 40 minutes is no joke. You are moving. And if you're pushing someone as well, you, you're, you're exerting some energy. It's, it's unbelievable. 72 marathons, 32 Boston marathons, 257 triathlons. Come on. Over 1,100 endurance events together. When he swam, they would attach a bungee cord from his waist to a raft, and he would swim in the triathlons with his son attached to him in the water. I think a, an Ironman, I think it's a 2.1 mile swim. I think something close to that, which is no joke. And you have a raft creating a little bit more pull behind. I mean, it's unbelievable. We are better together than we are separate. There are some things I can't do, and there are some things that you can't do. And when we bring it together, we create an unbelievable picture of kingdom and family and what God wants us to experience. We are, we are better together. Last week, I, I, I read this quote from John Mark Comer, and I just want to throw it out there again and, and take a picture of this quote. Um, I, I meant to to get our team to, to put it on Instagram or wherever we put all that stuff. But here's what, here's what John Mark Comer says. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Listen, there is an individualistic nature in our world and in our part of the world that is, that is moving each of us to think only about ourselves, I'm caught up in it. Many of you are probably caught up in it. The world tells us to get yours. Come on, church. This goes against the grain of the life of Jesus Christ. It goes against the grain. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it's here within community within deep relationships that we are set free in a way that we could never experience on our own. Listen, if we continue to fight for ourselves and for our individualistic nature, we will die alone. We'll end up all alone. And none of us want that. He goes on, give up your preferences for the sake of others. Listen, I I can't say it enough. Like the track camp, the adventure camp this summer... I mean, it was a huge sacrifice for the people who went. I mean, they took a week, most of them took a week out of their schedule, off of work. They didn't get paid for this. And they went up and they slept on bunk beds. And I think there are bugs up there. there are, I mean, we got bugs in the valley now, but more bugs up in the mountains and I don't know if you've, how, I mean, how long it's been since you were at a summer camp, but in the guys' cabins, I mean, it just smells. I don't know about the women's cabins, but it just, it's like, like give up your preferences and what feels good for the sake of others. En- enroll in this school of love, agape, love. And when you fail, which you'll do, and I'll do, we'll fail, come back and throw yourself the mercy of God, the grace of God, Eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiving love of God. Now, we're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a few minutes. But before we get there, I want to tell you a story about Jesus. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time telling you all the details because you'll get the details as we read through the story. But uh, a couple, about a year and a half ago, there were a bunch of us on the Sea of Galilee on a Sunday morning. I, I, love, I love this picture. We were out on the Sea of Galilee, it's a Sunday morning, and we're, we're out um, on this boat, there's like 40 of us, probably 41, 42 of us. Um, that city is Tiberius, if you're wondering where that is. Some of you are like, I wonder what city that is. That's Tiberius. And um, as we're on this boat, I, I find myself standing there, and I, I think I started to tell them out loud, like thinking of the stories of Jesus, and like looking at these shorelines and thinking, that's where, like that's where Jesus was walking, and that's where he called Peter and John. And he said, follow me. Like, leave your nets behind. There's probably a, a fishing village somewhere that he just said, I mean, just come follow me. Like, life is so much bigger than just you. Come follow me. And I just am thinking of all these things that happened in this area, this small little remote area. That's insignificant, and yet it's the thing that we still talk about. I mean, is it crazy that the kings around the time of Jesus, the only reason that we know who they are is because they interacted with the life of Jesus? Isn't that crazy? They were the most powerful people in the world at the time, and the only reason we really remember their names is because they were cross, uh, in, in terms of time, they were crossing paths with Jesus, I mean, Jesus is, he is the person in all of human history that stands above the rest. There, there is no one like Jesus. And, it, you know, some of you are skeptics about God and, and about Jesus. I, I get it. You're not sure what you believe. But you cannot just look past him because he in some ways stands above everyone else when it comes to human history. Jesus is just there. So we were going across the Sea of Galilee, and um, there's this story when Jesus returned to Capernaum, which is just on that north shore of, of the Sea of Galilee. Several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home, which tells us that he probably lived in Capernaum, a small little village. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. Um, We spent probably an hour or two that same day in Capernaum, and so here's a picture of Capernaum. That's the temple there in the middle, and then these are um, little structures that probably would have been houses in the first century. So um, maybe a couple of these little square units uh, together would have been like one house. So fairly small. Capernaum was a, a fairly small village. It wasn't, it, it wasn't huge. Uh, you could see from one side to the other. And the, the temple there, um, that one has, you know, it, it, they continue building temple upon temple. But if you go inside that one, you can actually look down and they've ex- excavated down to first century temple. And we know like that's where Jesus taught. Like he was hanging out there. And these stones that we walked across, Jesus probably walked on those stones. Is that crazy? That's crazy to me. And this is the story. So one of these houses where Jesus was staying was probably packed with people. And you're thinking, well, that's not a ton of people. But even outside the house was packed. People were gathered around, and Jesus was teaching, and all these things were going on. And while he was preaching, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. There were just too many people. So they dug a hole through the roof above Jesus' head. And then they lowered the mat with the paralyzed man down in front of Jesus. Now, if you were the owner of the house, (laughs) you have a different thought about the story. These four men had a buddy who was paralyzed, and they just wanted him to get close to Jesus. Now, this next line is crazy to me. I think for years I read through this story, and I picked out all these different places and pieces of the story. But this one, look at this. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, my child, your sins are forgiven. At first, I was a little upset about that. I'm like, his sins are forgiven. The guy needs to walk. His sins are okay. Maybe that's okay. That's good. I mean, yes, it's good. I'm a pastor. I should say, yes, it's good. It's good. But what about, like, can he walk? Can, we, can he walk? Like, don't you ask that question? Like, why would Jesus say that? And then even more than that, the piece that catches me the most is this. Whose faith did Jesus see? It's not a trick question. Whose faith did he see? The four men Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. The man experienced the forgiveness of God, not because he was assured, but because of the faith of his friends. I don't even know if I need to preach that. I, that's, it, that's enough right there for you, right? So, okay, I'll just keep going. Some of you are like, yep. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting around thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking because he's Jesus. I mean, that should say something to, to us as well. Like, Jesus knows what you're thinking too, and he knows what I'm thinking. He knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Like, like why does this bother you so much that I'm pronouncing forgiveness on someone? Like, why does that bother you? It makes me wonder, does it ever bother you that certain people get God's forgiveness? Maybe that's too personal. Does it ever bother you that somebody that you may not like, God loves with open arms? Okay, I'll skip that part. So then he says to them, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? That's not a trick question either. It's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven, like your sins are forgiven. There, I said it. But to say pick up your mat and walk, like that would mean that he had to do it or else I'm crazy. So I'll prove to you that I have the authority to do this. Then Jesus turned to the man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through this crowd that was stunned. And they said, we've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. (laughs) We've never seen anything like this before. I mean, it's an amazing story. And that's the end of the story. And you're like, what what do I do with that? I mean, yeah, I wish... I wish we could bring in someone and then he could walk or she could walk and she couldn't walk before and now she can, like that would be amazing. And it's easy to say, if, like if, if I saw that, then I would believe. But look, when the, like the faith of these men came before the miracle. They came before the healing work of God. Like it was their faith that brought them to Jesus. We're better together. And this man needed those four friends to carry him to Jesus, didn't didn't he? Like he needed his four friends to carry him to Jesus. And I've been thinking a lot in this series about the church and what we are and who we are and what we're becoming and who we're becoming and what we're to do. And I think there's a lot that we are to do, but oftentimes I think we get the the idea, the concept that that this, the church, is a place to come when you finally get your act together. And it's not. And we cannot be the kind of people that as people, as, 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 as we carry our friends in, that we just look down and judge and expect. I, I heard someone ask me this morning if I was going to have a joke for the day because I've been telling jokes sometimes on Sundays and I heard someone this this is the closest I'm going to get to a joke today. I heard someone said, you know, it's funny that Christians think that you can clean fish before you catch them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a good thought, isn't it? We expect people to have it all together and then they can come and be a part of what God's doing. But the truth is, the church is not a museum. It's it's not a museum for the put together It's a hospital, it's a rehab center. I thought of all these different pictures of what the church should be. We should be a rehab center, shouldn't we? We should be the place that is a messy mix of difference and people who are broken and those who are on this lifelong journey of healing because we're all on it together. None of us have it all figured out. Like it's this lifelong journey of healing and the church is the community of Jesus' people who are held together by his, God's overwhelming grace and our sacrificial commitment to one another. We're better together than we are separate. We need each other. We need each other. Um, God, in, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing and he says that God comforts us so that we in turn might comfort one another. Like we receive God's comfort so that we in turn might be a comfort to others as they're walking through the very things maybe that we walked through before. And so I want you to hear this, that your greatest challenges in life, your greatest pain in life, your greatest brokenness in life is what God wants to use to bring someone else. He wants you to pick up a mat and carry someone else who's walking through the very things that you've walked through in life. And you don't need to be perfect to do it. I, I, you know, I say this on a regular basis. AA is one of the most beautiful pictures of the church I've ever seen because it's the picture of people who are broken, walking with one another through the challenges of life, comforting one another, challenging, encouraging one another all along the journey of life. And that's what we should be as a church. We're better together than we are separate. We're, we're better together than we'll ever be separate. So... We're gonna sing, and um, we'll be done. But a couple thoughts to close us down. And um, one, I want us to hear this truth. I want. I, I need to hear this truth, and you need to hear this truth that um, that your faith lived in community. Your, your faith lived out in community, like these four men can bring healing. And salvation to other people. Now listen, don't miss the importance of that. If it wasn't for the four friends, would this man have ever encountered Jesus? We don't know, right? I mean, God can use all kinds of different things. But I bet he was thankful for those four friends. What do you think? I mean, God might have found another way to get to him. But I bet he was so thankful for those four friends. Can you imagine him just like over and over? And I want you to hear this, that your faith lived out in community with other people can be the thing that brings salvation and healing to others. I mean, that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? But it's true. It's true. Like, when we live out our faith together, it it can do all kinds of things. It can bring hope to some kids who are in a foster home all alone. It can give them, it can be seeds that are planted in their hearts and in their minds that we'll never see what comes of that, but I guarantee you it won't be wasted. It'll be used for good. For some of you who are, who are uh, helping out in our children's ministry, you, as a teacher or a helper in children's ministry, is it's the same exact thing as the four guys who picked up a mat and carried their friends. You're just carrying children. And they're lighter. You're just carrying children closer to Jesus. To those of you who are, are coaches in our student life ministry, you're, you're just like the four men who, who have students on these mats and you're just picking them up and carrying them closer to Jesus. What you do makes a profound difference in the lives of other people. Now, it's not just in the walls of the church. Don't hear me saying that either, because some of you are coaches in our community, coaching young men and women. Some of you are teachers in classrooms, and you have the opportunity in those environments with all the restrictions. I know there's a lot of restrictions, but you have opportunities to carry kids closer to Jesus and students closer to Jesus by the way you live out your faith. In community, come on church, we 're better together. so a couple questions, and um, here they are. who needs you to carry them towards Jesus in this season of life? Who needs you to carry them closer to Jesus? It might be your kids or your grandkids, it might be your spouse, it might be your parents, it might be your neighbors or your best friend I mean, i don 't know who it is, but who needs you to care? and then the second question is. Um, If you needed it, who would carry you towards Jesus? And see, digging into community in the life of the church is about traveling together. And if you've never needed someone to carry you closer to Jesus, just wait, because you will. We all do. Um, I told you you'd have a chance to take communion. And um, we're going to sing one last song, and as we do... uh, There's communion in the back of the room, and you have the opportunity just to slip back and take this little symbolic reminder. It's a piece of bread and a cup of juice, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus. And one of the understandings of taking communion is that we remember what Christ did, but also that we commit ourselves to that same kind of life for others. That when you take communion, you're saying, you know what? I'll sacrifice for the good of others. So maybe you wanna take communion. There's some uh, back at this area and there's some right back at this area. And then uh, on the side of the room, there are some candles. And in the Bible, light represents God's presence. And maybe um, you feel disconnected or you have someone in your life who feels distant or disconnected from God. And maybe as we sing, you just wanna slip back and light a candle and just say, got it. I need your presence or my friend needs your presence in their life, so would you show up uh, for them? And then in the very back of the room is a prayer wall where you can write out a prayer and and roll up up that little piece of paper and put it in the prayer wall. And our prayer team takes those and prays over them during the week. So maybe you have a prayer request or a confession or something that you want to put there and know that you'll have a team praying over you, that you have some friends who are carrying you closer to Jesus. So would you stand with me, and I'm going to pray, and then feel the freedom to, as we sing just to move around the room. God, you are good as we sang earlier. And God, as we see these pictures, these glimpses of Jesus in Scripture, there is nothing you can't do. There's nothing that you can't do. And the truth is, your spirit is now all over the place. Like, you are close. Closer than we think you are. So God, I pray that we would, we would look for you, God, I pray that we would sacrifice for the good of others, that we would pick up a mat with some friends and carry carry other people closer to the throne. We pray that people would come to know you, your grace, your love, your mercy. We pray this in the name of Jesus.